Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. We are wrapping up 2023 in the last month of the year. December 6th, Digital Bytes went out. Johnny Fry is here with me, James Tiley. We got a couple of articles to go over and then a guest. But Johnny, you're much better at introducing or knowing the guests with those close relationships. Well, uh, well coming up after the break, we've got Ollie Cadman, who's the CEO of the Realization Group. So we've had the realization group on. They're an interesting outfit. They're a sort of mar do marketing for both traditional financial services companies, but also the increasing sort of plethora of sort of e-money and fintech businesses. So they they pose the question: Will 2024 herald the rise of institutional digital assets? So be speaking to Ollie Cadden just after the break. But uh, but meanwhile, uh, there's a couple of articles in here this week. Obviously, James, which I know. One, one you're not going to like because we're going to be talking a little bit about zero proof knowledge or ZK Sync or ZK Sync, as you'd call it, that side of the pond, because Microsoft are engaging with them. But uh, I suppose, you know, we, 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 there's a lot of stuff about asset managers and embracing digital assets. And I think this is we, we, we have talked about this before, but I'd just like to do a, a recap more than anything, James. Uh, and that is a lot of people have talked about how blockchain technology and tokenization or digitization of, of real world assets. So in this case, we're talking about the fund management industry, which interestingly is a hundred times bigger than the whole crypto market. Crypto market today ran about one and a half trillion dollars. Asset management industry, $145 trillion. So it's a it's a big old, big older animal. And what we're seeing um in in the world, there's there's something in excess of seven and a half trillion dollars of monies locked up in cash mutual funds. The USA is, is the biggest um, holder of these at seven five point six trillion dollars. And by actually digitizing these mutual funds, it allegedly is going to take settlement time down from, say, three or four days to you'll get your money back the same day. And potentially the funds themselves will be priced by independent market makers. So this then raises the intriguing prospect that you'll be able to use a money market fund a little bit like your checking account. So if you've got a bit too much cash in there, and this is particularly relevant for, you know, you know and maybe organizations, it may be charities, it may be hedge funds, VC funds, private funds, maybe a company. If your company's got more than, say, half a million US dollars in one bank account, then if that banking account goes pop, like we saw with Silver, Silvergate and with uh, Silicon Valley Bank early this year, then, you know, depositors, you've got to remember when you put your money in a bank, you become a creditor. If the bank goes bust, then you have to get to the back of the line um, and hopefully you get some of your money back. But the alternative is to take your money out of the bank and stick it in a money market fund. And that way it diversifies your risk and you've effectively got your own treasury management. And I think this is a really interesting example of how blockchain technology is able to create a digital version of a money market fund. And I'm, I'm not quite so sure in the US, but certainly here in UK and Europe, we've got this whole thing of customer duty, sort of treating your customers fairly and making sure it's fit and proper. Well, what we have here is the ability for people to be able to trade not just once a day, but potentially 24 hours a day, seven days a week, not have their funds priced by the asset management firm that employs people to manage the money, but you'll have independence in terms of pricing. So you've got more frequency dealing and potentially more transparency and 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 um, better pricing mechanisms, and so I think that we'll see once money market funds have been tokenized, the asset, the fund managers really ought to be looking, saying, 
is there any reason why we wouldn't tokenize a bond fund, real estate fund, an equity fund? And I think that could unlock the, the, the gates, the doors, that you'll see much more activity in this area and a lot of more fund managers tokenizing, digitizing their funds. And that's really what we were talking about in this asset managers, digitize or die. And we listed out various different companies in, in the States, in Europe, in the UK, in the Far East, all of which are um, beginning to digitize or have already digitized some of the fund offerings. And therefore, if they don't digitize, are the regulators going to say, I'm sorry, unless you digitize, then you may lose your license. Because if, if it's possible to treat your customers more fairly, why wouldn't you, James? Well, who wants to treat us more fairly is the question. Do the banks want to? Over in the U.S., last time we, part one of this article, we were talking about how I, typically I avoided money markets, probably because I didn't understand them. But, you know, it was just sold to us as checking accounts. But I remember we were talking about uh, the amount of money that's just available waiting to become digitized. Because we always talk about, you know, the cryptocurrency world and, it's what, 1 trillion, 1.4? But when yeah, you look at, if you look at real estate, right? Or we had that argument about quadrillion, which is different for yeah. you. Well, real estate is 300, 326 trillion. Yeah. So real estate is 326 trillion. And I already, on my own, without any validation maybe, went ahead and got involved in tokenized real estate. And it's essentially like a re in blockchain. Mine happens to be an algo. But I consider it when I'm using it right now. I don't count it as, you know, trading or crypto. I'm looking at the signed lease of the house and I'm looking at the property valuation. I'm getting an original. Just happened to be using USDC on Algo. But James, I think that's the whole point. You know, at the moment people talk about the technology that's behind the digitization. Are they talking about blockchain and DLTs? But it's it's not going to be that long. It, I would say less than three years. The average the average you know punter investor is not is not going to say, oh yes, I want to have um, bearer shares or I want to have a you know, some sort of electronic shares and they're held by the DTCC. Oh no no, can I have a my shares held or my my participation held in a in a sort of a custodial wallet with you know they're just not going to do it. They'll just basically say. I want exposure to real estate. I want exposure to fixed interest. I want whatever it is they want exposure to. What's the most efficient way for me to to do that? How do I get access to it? And they're not going to question the underlying technology. They just want to make sure they've got access and the money is then held in a very safe, secure manner. So I think it's going to get driven by compliance. And and we we go back to this whole thing. So where are these digital funds going to be traded? And you've got you know, as we've talked before, we've got ADX in Singapore, we've got uh, Six in Switzerland, we've got Archax in the UK, we've got Swarm in Germany. So there's a variety of different places that these assets can be traded on already. So the infrastructure is being built as, as we talk. Yeah, I would tend to venture and guess that it's not going to be your typical crypto exchange like Binance, right? They're, they got to be regulated. Like Swarm, I know, is regulated in Germany. So very young, right? We're still very young. Yeah, but what what this could open up though is all the 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 Nasdaqs, the London Stock Exchange, etc. All those exchanges, they could start making markets and quoting prices of digitized funds. And bear in mind, there's more funds than there are equities in the U.S. in Europe. So this opens up a huge opportunity, huge opportunity for these traditional exchanges to start making markets in 
in these digitized digitized funds, digitized bonds. So that there could be a huge opportunity for the traditional stock exchanges, which to some extent they have been struggling recently, simply because you know people haven't been doing IPOs and you know volumes have been very, very low. And then you got the whole ETF controversy going on over here in the US, but eventually and not even talking about crypto again, but you could have an ETF. I guess what you're saying is new ETFs or existing ETFs that, that are elsewhere can now receive liquidity and volume from countries that they normally couldn't before. There is that potential as well. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, but I, I don't think it's going to be, I, 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 I think it's less about selling more. It's more about looking after your existing customers better. And it's not about the sales department being able to you know, open up a, a US fund to someone in Korea or Malaysia or, you know, wherever. It's more about the investment management compliance team saying we're going to digitize this because otherwise we run the risk of incurring the wrath of the regulator. So it's a more of a sales and also less of a risk. Sorry, it's more of a compliance and less of a risk than having the current status quo whereby it's priced by the same entities. So I, I see it as a really useful way for people to be treated more fairly than they have been historically. And of course, your increase in security. So yeah, for performance, you're, you're going to tell us that, are they looking at Microsoft's zero knowledge layer two stuff? Or when, well, are we going to need that for speed and performance? Well, there's, okay. So one of the big problems with, with the financial services sector, or when you change your utilities, or anything where you need to prove who you are. It's a tricky, it's a quite a cumbersome process, you know, especially when you're dealing remotely and, you know, you don't know the company and the company doesn't know who they're dealing with. They need to make sure that they've carried out the, the appropriate sort of know your client documentation and forms. And so a digital version of this has been created zero proof knowledge. Now, James, you're the techie. You explain what that's all about then. Well. The point in zero, well, I may not be an expert on zero knowledge, but I am an expert in like EVM and solidity and things like that that benefit tokenization. So let's go through the zero knowledge part together because I have a feeling that I'm concerned when it comes to technology. So they're saying that a significant advantage is it, 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 speed and transaction cost. And I, I, they're going to say security, and that's where I pause. But and I'll give you an example for for people that that aren't quite as familiar. James, James, let's just James, let's just explain what zero knowledge proof is, and it, it's simply a, a way, a, a process that you know, I I I can prove to another party who I am, and, and but the other party has enough information to be comfortable who I am without me necessarily revealing all of my information, all of my details. So so it's it's proof. But there's no information passed or there's not enough information passed in order for my identity to be stolen or, 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 or taken, if that, if that makes sense. If so, you remember so, back in the day, we used to use the word trustless, right? Yeah. And that was an awkward word, if you think about it, kind of like non-fungible. <laughs> Why would we? I don't want something to be trustless. By default, my brain tells me there's no trust. So the way you explain zero knowledge, it's probably the way they should have explained a trustless originally. There is yes. no need to trust or question the trust of this particular situation because zero knowledge is going to 
basically advocate this is accurate, this is correct, and there is no way that this can go wrong. I am who I say I am, like Popeye. Yeah. So, so, that's, but, so it means that if you're using zero proof, you know, the accountants, the auditors, they can they can check, they can verify that the goods were, were shipped and transported and stored correctly, but they haven't got to reveal any other information. So do you see right. what I mean? So, you know, I don't need to tell you that it was a bag of onions or it was a box of gold or it was a box of fags. It doesn't, that doesn't matter. It's you, the, I'm, you know, as it's someone that's checking, were the goods sent? When were they sent? How were they stored? Did they get there? So it's 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 that that's it's a little bit of a, a, an example therefore, but so 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 basically this this concept has been taken in a digitized format, and it's now called it's it's a really snappy little title, isn't it? That they ZK sync, <laughs> and, and maybe it's the sync that's breaking it's me, it's well, upsetting me because it's not the so, kitchen sink, it's sync synchronizing information, synchronization, right? And again, I'm the tech, so synchronization requires the highest of speed and the, you know, the least of latency and you, and your zero proof knowledge. So an exchange is saying we've already validated James. We have his driver's license and his social security. It is what it is. You don't have to question that we did it. Right. So going forward, I am, it's the, it's assumed I am me and everything's validated. I, but they're choosing Microsoft anyway. And this article chose to go with layer two for Eve. Well, that's yeah. not exactly fast. No, I'm sorry. That's not exactly fast. Right. Ethereum is absolutely ridiculous. And I think in this example, they wanted to go with Polygon. I mentioned, I saw Polygon mentioned somewhere. And I just, I noticed that because of the size of the networks, the nodes that you hear people talk about, Polygon, for example, can be affected by bad actors a lot easier than Ethereum could be affected. By bad act because think of I'd hate to use the word pyramid in finance, but absolutely unrelated. But if you think about a pyramid, the polygon layer over Ethereum is smaller. It, it's it's got a smaller footprint. It's not as big as Ethereum. And in the technical world, that means it's easier to attack. In my experience with layer twos, gas fees are just as atrocious. Performance is just as bad. The the necessity to modify. Oh, I didn't send this fast enough. Now I got to go modify it so I can make sure it gets ahead. Just to eventually settle in Ethereum, I'm against it. I don't, we should worry about, I'm not trying to advocate, but I'm trying to figure out Microsoft's thought process. They're an industry leader, don't get me wrong. How did Stellar lose out to this? It's, it's it, you're talking about instantaneous and and carbon footprinting alone the carbon footprint for a second layer of a technology simply exists you can't deny that yep why did microsoft go this way that's i don't want to rant well because the former head of web3 businesses this vasilis tos iakis and i apologize I've, I've completely got his name incorrectly pronounced i'm sure but he he's joined zk sync and so presumably he was able to say look this is a great thing and you should come with us and maybe that's what happened. But it, but what is interesting is that we are seeing, you know, some 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 pretty big names that, you know, like Sequoia Capital and recent Harowitz, you know, they're all integrating this hyperchain nodes onto the Azure, you know, marketplace. 
and 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 their and their cloud. So we're seeing we're seeing more and more of it happening at institutional layer. So it's it is the sort of thing which is beginning to gather adoption more and more and more. So that this person, I want to say his last name is Zokas. Zokas is, is an advocate for decentralizing a protocol. And what I get from that sentence, from that statement, is that he agrees that at right now it's not. So he wants to do that as a process, in which case, yep. we'll clap. Good for you. Now I'm on board. And uh, I guess he faulted um, the validators with Chainlight that identified a bug in ZK Sync and allowed a malicious actor to get away with 1.9 billion worth of Ethereum. So again, in my technical conservatory, I just... How safe was two. it? I'm sorry? How safe was it if you got away with that sort of money? Right. A layer two tells me that you have another layer of exposure to risk. There's just... Oh, so I'm, as I, if you read the article that we sent out, uh, Zokas, I'm going... <laughs> I'm assuming his last name is... Needs he acknowledges that the, the improvements need to occur, and I guess he believes what I'm getting from this, and I'm learning something through the article. He believes that he can fix the issues that do currently occur at layer two, such as that 1.9 billion dollar bug. Time will tell, but the, what it does show is that big tech engaging with blockchain technology. Team blockchain.net, right in front of you, the minute it loads up. We don't care how you listen to this show. I'd love for you to listen on Cyber.fm, but let's be realistic. Anchor, Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeart, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Pandora, and you could always say, Alexa, open up Digital Bytes Podcast. We put that right there in the very front, and right next to it, if you have no idea what we're talking about every week, stick your email address in there and actually get the newsletter. Well, welcome back, and today, delighted to be joined by Ollie Catman. I'm from CEO of the Realization Group, and uh, Ollie, good, good to have you on the show. Welcome. Thanks, Johnny. Good to be here. Good stuff. So, so Ollie, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. You've written, you've written this article. Obviously, you've got your crystal balls out because you're looking at will <laughs> 2024 herald the rise of institutional digital assets. But, but before we get sort of into the nitty gritty, that can you just give a bit of background to yourself and and the Realization Group for those listeners that haven't heard I, I know your company and some of your clients have been on the show before but it'd be great just to get an overview of yourself and and your company yeah definitely so as I say look, thanks for having us so I joined the realization group about a year ago prior to that primarily always been in front office financial markets technology and trading so started at the London Stock Exchange for a number of years in market data moved on to JP Morgan in electronic trading was at ICE for a few years and then sort of moved over onto the fintech side, providing low latency market data connectivity services. Most recently, before joining the realization group, I was at Aventus, which is trade surveillance and compliance. But that's really where I started to get more exposure to the digital asset space. About 40% of our of our revenue, I think, at that point was was digital assets with a number of the large sort of exchanges and, and a, number, a number of the large names. Joined the realization group about 12 months ago, really to to help 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 us scale as an organization. So we are a, effectively we're a growth agency. So we work with you know, financial markets firms, fintechs, we're hundred percent focused on financial markets. We work with those firms on their go-to-market strategy and to really build a scalable, sustainable growth engine. And we've, we've done that historically, historically through marketing and PR 
and more and more that's also into sales enablement, revenue ops, uh, we have a sales partnership, et cetera. And we've worked a lot across both sides. So obviously, you know, most of the people at, at the realization group have a similar background to me. They've worked within the industry for a number of years. And so we understand the mechanics, we understand the language. And yeah, what we've really done over the last few years is really worked across both sides. We've worked with a number of digital asset firms, you know, native blockchain firms, et cetera, as well as traditional finance firms. And then more and more getting pulled into that conversation at least as these two worlds converge as to what that means for both sides and how we can bring the two together. Okay, brilliant. So so I suppose the, without making it too sort of full of acronyms, it's sort of DeFi meet, meet CFI. You've got a bit of, <laughs> of, yes. of centralized finance and all that entails, but obviously very grounded in but the reality is is that in order for digital assets to gain traction, it's got to be done in a format and a style where the where the the real money is, the institutions, where they are comfortable that they're dealing with in, in an environment that is regulated as systems controls and they're allowed to engage as much as they may or may not want to get involved in buying and selling unregulated, unregulated assets. The, the reality is, is that most of them have to abide and are subject to compliance controls. So, so it's helpful that you understand the terminology of where they're coming from when you're talking to some of these newer firms, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. And we've certainly seen, I think, that, as I say, realisation, that's a bit of a pub, but we've certainly seen that sort of transition in terms of thinking over the last 18 months. So, you know, we started with Harrington, our partners, Harrington Star, we started this sort of idea of the, the year of convergence about 18 months ago, about exactly that, about how these two worlds are going to come together and, and meet in the middle for, for the benefit. Now, when, when we started that journey, I think there was a lot of talk, you know, words like disruption and revolution were being used. Right? And yeah. I think, you know, yeah. when you look at some of those native firms, like everything was going to be ripped up and, and started again. But I think there really has been this, you know, obviously some of the, some of the events of 2022 have, have helped, or not helped, sorry, bad choice of words, but, you know, I mean, have brought that, I think, to, to front of mind. Actually, this is much more about an evolution. It's much more about innovating on a technology side to, to bring these worlds together. Because these firms, these large institutional firms that have been in all of these additional asset classes for, you know, many years now have, have run books, have compliance programs, have regulations that have been built over years and years and years. And whilst they may seem a little bit onerous at times, mm -hmm. they are there to protect fundamentally the end investor. And I think some of the events that we saw happen at the end of 2022 around, you know, FTX, et cetera, has really just highlighted why that those controls are there and why this is much more about, I think now, not how can DeFi disrupt traditional finance, but actually how can TradFi leverage that technology, the tokenization of, of assets, et cetera, to really streamline and, and simplify the operations. It's, um, we actually, it's actually similar to AI in many respects. When I think about generative AI, when we talk about that, we talk about it as an accelerator. You still need the right strategy. You still need the right inputs to go into it. And you still need the right expertise and governance on the other side to make sure that what's coming out is correct. I think where, where I, I think we're seeing blockchain technology and distributed ledger technology evolve is it's that accelerator piece, right? Bringing in that, flattening some of those, particularly in the settlement uh, clearing areas, flattening some of those layers, modernizing technology stacks that are potentially decades old uh, and bringing real, uh, real modernization into that space and innovation off the back of it. Okay, so, so a, lot of, a lot of what you're saying makes sense, especially, you know, as you know, a bit like yourself, I've been involved in the asset management business for 
for far too long, about 40 odd years, someone helped to remind me the other night. Um, <laughs> but you and I both know it has been a slow process. You know, I, a lot of what's happening at the moment, I know I was certainly talking to people back in 2016, 17 and saying, look, it, it's crazy that we can't allow, if you like, one source of information and all the custodians, the trustees, the shareholders, the regulators, the staff, you know, the end investor, they, they all have a need for access to, if you like, a pool of data. But rather having, you know, four, four or five pools, why can't you just have one pool? And sorry, I'm keeping very, very simplistic wording here. But it yeah. seems to be, we, are, we seem to be gathering momentum. We're seeing real world assets, i.e. real estate, funds, equities, bonds, and new, new assets, you know, data. <clears throat> People are digitizing data, whether it be their shopping data, their travel data, their health data. What do you see is holding things back a little bit? Because it's it's not happening. It's, there's not a mad rush for the door, but it's certainly pe- the businesses are moving that way. But what, what do you think we need to see going forward into 2024? Because we're not that far away, a month or so now. No. We'll actually allow the institutions to, to really get on board with these digital assets. I think we started to see it. Right? I think that the, so, the seeds have been sowed in 2023. Right? We've got you know one of the big the big complaints or, or blockers historically has been that regulation, regulatory clarity mm-hmm. and, you know, how the, how the regulators gonna going to approach this. Now, there's still a little bit of a, you know, a turf war, I think, going on in the US around, you know, where that's going to land and, and how they're going to approach it. And a few land, a few maybe slightly aggressive land grabs. But, you know, in Europe particularly, we've really started to see that, that regulatory momentum build. Obviously, Mike is coming in. Mm-hmm. market again i'm not to use too many acronyms i guess the markets in crypto assets directive as sort of extending the existing regular regulatory framework under MIFID to recognize digital asset you know it was only in was it july i think this year that you know the financial services and markets act came into force in the uk which actually gave the fca the powers they needed to to play that role for the uk market so until then they almost they didn't have the remit to be able to do it and so I think that in itself is obviously a great drive, a catalyst as we go into 2024, because people feel a little bit more comfortable in terms of the frameworks they're working on, at least in Europe. And obviously we're all still expecting, one way or the other, to get some clarity around some of the ETF approvals for, for some of the Bitcoin structured products in the US, which would again give people more confidence. Yeah. And then I think it's really also, we had an event a few weeks ago, and this is one of the topics, was, was the public-private partnership, was actually working you know, close, ensuring there's cooperation there, probably a legit level of education as well. You know, it's, it's still a challenge for some of these public bodies to necessarily get access to the talent that they need to fully understand and manage this in the same way some of the sort of better funded private firms can. So there definitely needs to be that cooperation so that everyone's on the same level playing field when it comes to understanding the knowledge for the benefit of, of the wider market. I think if we see those two things continue the trajectory that they are in next year as well as as we say that, that you know that separation of crypto from digital assets that separation of crypto trading from underlying dlt blockchain etc which i think really you know people have has really come from mind over the last 12 months so that people are now considering the technology separate to how they trade the asset class and really a lot of the conversations that we're seeing around as we say is the application of that technology into existing asset classes rather than all of the focus being around this this new asset class. So, you know, I don't think it's, again, I don't think it's going to be a revolution in 2024. I think it's going to be an evolution, but definitely picking up pace from what we're seeing. Okay, so I wholeheartedly agree. I think 
even this time last year, as soon as you mentioned sort of digital assets, people immediately thought of, well, well, that's blockchain and that's Bitcoin and that's Ponzi schemes and, you know, the yeah. dark web and all that sort of stuff. And I think now people are beginning to understand that, OK, well, that's, that's about a trillion, trillion and a half market size. But, you know, just look at the fund sector. You know, that's 100 yeah. times bigger than the crypto market. Yes. And, and you've got some major financial institutions in almost every jurisdiction. But one of the one of the things you mentioned there, you mentioned earlier something called or a business called Harrington. Harrington. Sorry, they're going to kill me. Harrington Star. <laughs> I've forgotten the name. Harrington. Harrington Star. Yes. Harrington Star. Excellent. Now, they are a recruitment business, aren't they? Yeah, very much so. But I think, you know, they they also have been a very fundamentally focusing financial services and they you know toby and, and the team they've done a great job i think of being a facilitator of a lot of these industry discussions over the last few years yeah so if we work closely with them it's you know it's it's just a natural partnership to sort of come together and, and help help bring that wider network and help facilitate that discussion across these what have been you know, traditionally separate discussions, just bringing those together and thinking about what the combined future looks like. Okay, but but I just wanted wanted to sort of highlight them because I think one of the key challenges that we see is is the the lack of understanding, the need for talent, and therefore yes, for specialist agencies such as themselves to be engaged in the conversation and understand what the market needs. It makes it so much easier then to find the right candidates and and help some of their clients understand the sort of candidates they potentially need, which is. So it's quite an interesting relationship you have with them, although I appreciate it's completely arm's length, but you work very closely with them. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, their clients get the benefits of them from similar to our clients in exactly that way. It's yeah. you know, being able to talk the language, being able to, to get more directly into the conversation more quickly and actually provide, provide insight back, make it much more two-way partnership because, yeah, you're able to share what you're seeing in the market as well as learn from the client what, what they're doing and how that has, a, has an impact. Okay, and, and and finally, you're not just focused on the UK. You yourself are actually based in in Sweden, aren't you? Yes, Stockholm. Yeah, Stockholm. Our first, first cool. Swedish. It's chilly this time yes. of year up there. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. It's snowing outside right now. So yeah. But, but you've got client. You've got clients in the states as as well as Europe. So you 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 get a perspective of different of different regulations, but also different companies in different jurisdictions, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. So we have, yeah, we have a number of clients in Europe. I would say about thirty percent. Oh, sorry, in the US, about thirty percent of our revenues from the US. We have a number of European clients. We actually have a couple of Asia clients. We've just been working with a large software firm on their financial services messaging across the Asia region as well. So we're starting to get pulled in that direction too. So yeah, to your point, it's great to see those those different perspectives. And of course, everyone's coming at it from a different angle. So it's it's, never a dull moment from that perspective. Well, they are, but 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 it also underlines the fact that. Certainly when it comes to sort of blockchain technology and digital assets, there's no one jurisdiction, which is, it's not like having Silicon Valley. For, for years, the tech sector has kind of been dominated by the Silicon Valley in California. But it seems actually that there, there's pockets of expertise in, in Asia, in Africa, in, in the States, and certainly here in Europe, which is a much more collaborative um, engagement, it seems. And no one country can say, well, we're dominating it, which I... Which I think longer term has to be a good thing because it means that we can hopefully then pick the best bits from different areas and come up with the right solution rather than being too sort of jingoistic about it all. Yeah, it's a very good point because, as you say, like, you know, obviously no, no one regulatory framework. And as we've seen some of the regulatory stances across the world, it's actually shifted some of that focus. And, and then so you've actually sort of pollinated some of those skill sets around, around the world. And they really are across all the different regions, as you say. And then, you know, and you've got, 
you know, I think down to Australia, right? You've got exchanges that have been experimenting with with blockchain for a number of years. So if you've got all of these different areas of of expertise, and and like I say in the long run, hopefully that really that plays out as, as a positive in terms of the knowledge and the network that's out there that come together. And in theory, these digital assets, you know, they have the ability to trade twenty four seven. So it's important that yeah. different regulatory environments are comfortable. You know, when when they're asleep, we're trading, and when we're asleep, they're trading, sort of thing. So we have to be much more mindful rather than just building something for a particular uh, country or, or economic region. But uh, Ollie, fascinating. Be great to get you back later in the year and give an update on on what's actually happening in two thousand and twenty four. But if anyone would um, like to get in contact with you, is is LinkedIn the best way? Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, probably the easiest thing. Okay, way. and and Ollie is O L L I E. Cadman, C-A-D-M-A-N, at the Realisation Group. And if you'd like a copy of Ollie's article, then you can always contact myself, Johnny Fry, J-O-N-N-Y-F-R-Y. Also on LinkedIn, happy to give you a, a copy of uh, Ollie's article. But Ollie, thank you very much for coming on the show today and um, look forward to catching up with you later next year. Yeah, great. Thank you for having me.